0: This is Dave Dunson, and, um, and Dave and I just decided that we needed to take a couple minutes today to talk, Nothing, not anything bad, don't worry, it's all, it's all good, but we thought this would be fun. Bears? Yeah, how about them bears? So um, now we are talking about bad things, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, but we wanted to talk a little bit about Uh, the sabbatical that I'm about ready to take part of. And so uh, a 10-week sabbatical, and we've talked about it before. That's not a surprise to most of you if you've read about it or heard about it. But we thought it'd be just kind of fun for Dave to ask a few questions on your behalf. So have at it.
1: All right, the survey said no. (laughs) Why don't you explain, first of all, just what will be involved in in your sabbatical in the time that you're gonna be gone?
0: Yeah, and so when you... When you think about a sabbat, just even God's idea of the Sabbath, if you think about a pitcher of water getting poured out, that's a lot of us during the work week. And God said, sometimes take that pitcher and put it under the faucet and just let it run and fill it back up. And that's kind of really the spiritual idea behind the sabbatical. So what I will personally be doing is I'm not going to go I believe God has directed me to not go get a master's or a PhD or work on all this classwork, or go visit a million churches and learn all these leadership concepts or write another book. I think God has told me, go sit yourself underneath the faucet for 10 weeks and be calm and be still and get out of the constant output mode that you're in. And so that's kind of the theory behind that. In practicality, what that will look like is um, I'll, I'll spend some time in quiet and silence, even away doing that. I'll spend some time doing scripture memory. I'll spend lots of times with my kids. My kids sacrifice sometimes because of my ministry role. And, um, and I don't want them to ever feel bitter about having a dad who is a preacher. And so even get to have some one-on-one trips or Beth and I spend some time with just one kid at a time. We have four if you don't know. And so sometimes it's hard to do that. So we'll be doing kind of all of those things uh, mm-hmm. through the summer.
1: Right, very good. Why, what do you think the elders' motivation behind this is?
0: Yeah, the, um, I think the elders, when they extended this to me, they started talking about it a year ago. Um, it, June 1st is my 20th anniversary at Highland Park, and um, if you talk to other church leaders, you just know that oftentimes um, preachers who have been at it for a long time, ministry people at a long time, there's a certain amount of weight that kind of gets on your shoulders. It's one thing... It's a terrible thing if you were to mess up someone's 401k, if that was your job. That'd be a terrible thing. It's a heavier thing to mess up someone's soul. And I'm not saying I can personally do that and be responsible, but I feel that sometimes. And that's part of the weight of ministry that just makes it a little bit unique. And so as the years go by and you start to feel some of this weight and you know that you should not, uh, but you still feel a little bit of it. And so I think Wise churches have realized it's good to force their ministry staff into some times where uh, they aren't trying to save the world, and uh, they can just go and be with God. I think one of the other difficult things is sometimes when I read my Bible, just me and God, I see something, I'm like, ooh, that would work in that December sermon series, and I start, and everything about my relationship with God can sometimes turn into how I can feed you. And some of that's good, but if it's always like that, that's not good. And so I want to spend time where it's me and God, and it has nothing to do with a sermon or a book or an article or anything else. And I think there's a 24-7 part of this too. And there's other jobs I recognize as well that are 24-7 where you might get a call or text at any point. And Highland Park really is very good about protecting ministry staff. Thank you. I know that's not like that for all of my preacher buddies um, but there is, that, there is that possibility that sometimes you feel like you can't quite ever walk away from work, and so I think all of those things the elders kind of were thinking about when they offered it.
1: When I had my sabbatical, that was the same thing from the elders that you needed the break. Mine was in the transition time, so it was some learning time, mm-hmm. but it was also a recognition of, of being able to rest, and so I, I, too, appreciate our elders for thinking of us and letting us do that. Um, any specific plans that you have for the
0: sabbatical? Um, I've been told that I need to keep myself somewhat busy and fun for the first couple days so I don't go crazy. So wherever Fred Boyd is, I'm going to play golf with him sometime and um, go on some hikes. And uh, But I, I am scheduled to go to a conference. I'm not in charge of anything at the conference. Shrabi gets to go with me, so that's going to be great. Um, Beth and I are actually going to take Levi on a trip. Just the, two of, the three of us will go together, and uh, we'll have a family vacation at some point. And then uh, I am going to spend the whole week, just me and nobody, at the end of the sabbatical. I don't think I could do that tomorrow and do it very well, um, but I think towards the end of the sabbatical, um, that'll be a really cherished it'll, it'll time for me. It'll take some wind-down time. Yeah, yeah. that's that. what I've been told.
1: Um, what about Beth and the kids? Will we uh, see them? Or they you here? will
0: see them because this is their church family, and so they'll be with you. And, uh, and so their, their schedule is, might change every once in a while on a specific week, but for the most part, they'll be around and plugged in like they all, I mean, you're our church family, and so uh, they'll be here. You won't see me uh, a whole lot, but you might see me at an activity or something, and that's fine. You don't have to pretend like you don't know me more than you already do, um, so uh, yeah. So you'll you'll still see them. The Got a lot.
1: scruffy ball cap. Ignore him. Yeah, He's not yeah. here. He's not here. Um, who's covering for you while you're going?
0: Well, you are. Call Dave. Um, <laughs> they, all of the staff are taking on some different roles. We've been working on those for about three or four months to kind of get those figured out. Volunteers, ministry teams that I'm a part of have taken an extra role there. And then um, as far as preaching, uh, staff will preach some. We also have, I think, four uh, guest speakers lined up, and you are not going to suffer when you are listening to the preaching at all. It's going to be great. Um, I know that we've got Andy Storms and Sergio Rizzo. I think Sergio might even be here um, uh, this morning uh, from Ozark who will be preaching, um, Uh, Alan Wan from Good News Productions. Oh my goodness, when you hear his story, his family story that traces back through World War II and how God interacted in his life. Um, Steve Thomas, many of you know, around Highland Park will be preaching one Sunday. So we have several guest preachers who will be coming through. That way it wasn't all on the ministry staff to to be doing some of the leadership stuff plus the preaching at the same time. So that'll be happening in this 10-week window.
1: One last thing. What can we as a church family do for you?
0: Well, I think you can pray for me, pray that I can emotionally walk away from here and get get the rest I need. And uh, the truth is I know I need it. Like I'm not like in a danger emergency crisis mode, but I can feel that I need this time and I know it's gonna be wise for me. So you can pray for me. And you can be consistently active here at Highland Park and just uh, doing what you do and loving and taking care of one another. And I think any preacher their greatest hope would be that their people would love the Lord and love each other. And so that would certainly, certainly be mine, and I know that you will.
1: All right. Well, Brian, let me pray for you and for us uh, as we uh, Thank you. Continue. Lord, I do pray that this time of sabbatical for Brian would be that, a time of rest, a time of rest that is committed to you, and a time in which you do work in Brian, in his heart and his mind that uh, you want to accomplish. I pray that he will be receptive to your prompting. I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would give him comfort and peace. Uh, I pray, Father, also for the family. I pray that it would be a time in which uh, they would see their contribution to this sabbatical as, as they uh, get to watch, as they get to be involved. I pray your blessing and your protection for safety throughout the summer. Pray, Father, that we as a church family would understand that, that this is your church and mm-hmm. that we serve you and that we get to do that together. And I do pray also, Father, for us to be able to love you and to love one another as we serve together here in this place. Ask your blessings in Christ's name.
0: Amen. Amen. Thanks, Dave. Hey, so while I have you, I'm going to preach a sermon in just a couple of moments. Before I do, I want to do one more housekeeping thing, kind of like things that you're thinking of, oh, I should do this before I leave for vacation. Um, And so if you are a guest, I hope this will encourage you and be helpful, but I I do slightly apologize. It's a little bit of a a housekeeping item, but we've been talking about our two-year strategic plan of where where will Highland Park be in 2020. And if you missed that Sunday, go online and listen to it. It says strategic plan. It's a 15-minute thing. And that will really help kind of unpack kind of what, how God has been leading us. But we want to be as effective as we can be in the kingdom and here uh, on 31st Street. And so we've been praying and dreaming for a long time about that and have a direction where we believe God is moving us. But you also know that part of this strategic plan uh, at least factors into at some point some construction is gonna happen right across the street and at least for a time we're gonna lose parking And the best case scenario is that we'll lose parking for six to 12 months or so, and then we'll be able to park there again just a little bit farther away, but we'll still get to use that. That's best case scenario. Worst case scenario scenario is we never get to park there again. (laughs) But we're, we're holding out for best case scenario before we try to raise and spend a whole lot of money. And so that... What we have to think about is part of the strategic plan is to reimagine our programming to figure out how we can do that without having to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on some huge parking lot plan. And so uh, we talked some about this, and I want to just take it one step further so you can be kind of digesting it, and you'll hear more about this through the summer as we get closer. But the summer, things will stay the same. Uh, everything that we've been told is get ahead of it and don't let the parking situation dictate everything you do. So we want to get ahead of it. And we realize that when the shovel hits over there, we can't have one service. We need two. We can fit maybe in here, although that's questionable some Sundays, um, but we can't fit your cars, okay, So we need people to come to one service, and then we need to politely say, go move your car and leave so other people can come in and park in those parking spots. And what we've also been told is the best wisdom is change your programming before you have to duplicate. So get the programming how you want it so that then all you have to do is double it. You don't want to double and change all the programming at the same time. So what that means for us next, probably around the beginning of September, is that during the nine o'clock hour, adult Bible classes that want to meet will meet. Um, Some of those Bible classes are maybe thinking, do we want to go ahead and make a shift? Um, But as long as there's not construction, it's fine to be here during the nine o'clock hour. Um, but what would need to happen is when the shovel hits is those classes would need to either meet earlier or at a different time, place, etc. something like that to figure out. And so we've been talking to all of the class teachers and leaders and people in those classes about those things um, as best we can. What that means for children's ministry is we can't have children's ministry Bible class hour at nine o'clock because we can't, we need something that duplicates. And so... The strategy that the children's ministry team is actually pretty excited about and they think will work really well is to right now we have Bible classes for kids and then we have kids' worship hour. And what we wanna do is take the kids' worship hour and rearrange parts of that and move the Bible class element into that hour, which means that kids will worship music, um, have fun with each other at the beginning, and then hear a Bible lesson from one teacher and then divide up into smaller groups, you could almost call them classes, in which they will study that, le- that same lesson a little bit deeper and relationally and discussion and pray. And they get that uh, extra attention from a loving adult who's praying for them and pouring into their lives. And we love that model. And we think it works really well. We continue to have our big time Wednesday night program, which has worked really, really well. Um, takes a summer break, but we'll relaunch again in the fall. For our student ministry, this has been more difficult to figure out, to be honest with you. Um, and you'll understand why when I'm talking, but we, we've been talking and asking questions and Matt has shot out emails and had meetings of give me your best, your best ideas and we continue to look at all of those and try to figure out what works best. Um, but what we think for middle school and high school is, again, we can't do the Bible class at nine because we can't double it. whenever the parking lot issue hits. And I don't think we're going to get our high schoolers here at 8 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Um, In fact, I haven't talked to many people who really like that idea very much. Um, Maybe 8.30 for some people, but probably not for our younger folks. And uh, we know how that can be. And so what we're looking at doing is um, expanding the Wednesday night program. That's our largest student programming uh, event, and Wednesday night is a really healthy event, and what we're going to do is expand the time a little bit. Right now, it's 6.30 to 8. We're going to take it from 6.15 to 8.15, and that will allow the small groups to meet again within that hour while not shortcutting the teaching and and Bible teaching instruction that they get during that same time period. Um, We're also planning and working and dreaming about some special events that will be heavy on the teaching and worship and music and togetherness time that will happen throughout the year, maybe on Sundays, maybe in a a different time, maybe about quarterly or something like that that will kind of coincide um, with the sermon series, but teaching on a little more practical level for students. And so we're looking at ways to supplement that. We're also looking at some, tech, some ways to do things with technology and video and other ways. And maybe there's still the best idea that's out there and we haven't quite heard it yet. Um, so we still welcome your input. As the summer goes on, these plans will get a little bit more molded into the concrete. Because um, at some point we have to pull the trigger in all of this. So that's kind of what we're, kind of what we're looking at. What we don't want to do is have the parking lot situation hit, and then we don't have people in loving, growing environments. That would be a tragedy. Switching the times and programs around, we can handle that. The church has withstood a lot more than that. We can do that, too. And so I know that it can still feel painful and difficult. That's why I want to talk to you about it now so we can kind of keep working this through the summer and be ready in the fall. And then we're going to be ready no matter what happens with the parking lot. Okay? And we'll just be ready to go from there. So... um, Along with that, many of you were part of a four-week small group intensive, and we had over 105 adults involved in that um, during the last four weeks, which was fantastic. Part of our strategic plan is to encourage more adults to be part of small groups because that better equips us to not be reliant on the building, no matter what happens again in the future. Um, We have a small group leadership team that's going to be meeting and working through the summer and trying to help coach leaders and help make that system better, and um, that doesn't mean we have to not have a Sunday morning Bible class, um, but it does make a natural way for us to say, here's a next step for you to connect with people and to grow in the Lord and to have people caring for you and you caring for them. And so all of that is kind of taking place kind of behind the scenes and working in the summer. And so thank you for praying with us. And if you're a guest, thank you for putting up with those five minutes. Now it's time to preach. So turn to Acts 18, where I really want to be, Okay. the more, the favorite part of my job is doing this, where we get to just open up the scripture. So we've been in this four-week series. This is the last week where we've been talking about bunkers. We often get in these bunkers where we say, you are my enemy, and so I'm gonna fire my weapon at you if I disagree with you about anything. And what we've been encouraging people to do and, and where we wanna be is how Jesus was in that he said, I'm gonna hang on to peace, With people, I want to pursue peace with people. Those people may not reciprocate. They may not be peaceful to me, but as much as I can, I want to be at peace with people, and God wants you to be at peace with your fellow man as much as you can. I know that some of that's outside of your control, but for what you can control, we want to be at peace. We want to wave this banner of being peaceful people. God wants us to be peaceful with all people, but we also want to hang on to this commitment to truth. And the challenge is to hold on to both at the same time because sometimes what we do is we, we hang on to one and we drop the other and we beat people up while we hold truth or we say the truth doesn't really matter because we want to pursue peace with people and Jesus calls us to this no man's land. That was the area between the bunkers and trenches in World War I and got that name. But Jesus calls us to this spiritual no man's land where it can feel scary out here in the middle pursuing both of these at the same time. And today we want to talk about how do we do this when it comes to the topic of doctrine, that would be what I believe about the Bible, what I believe about God, and relationships. How can I pursue truth? Like, What is God's truth in scripture and how our church and family practices that? and yet still pursue relationships with people who might disagree with me. At Highland Park, you know, we're thinking about how can we pursue truth and peace with uh, our community. We desire uh, to, to love all people, uh, whether they come from a different ethnic or cultural background or, or a generational difference or a socioeconomic difference. We want all people to love. Uh, we want to love all people and draw them to the truth. The Highland Park Christian Church would be birthed out of what was called the Restoration Movement in the mid early to mid-1800s. And one of the mantras of the Restoration Movement, these churches that began by saying, we don't want to be beating each other up based on a denominational difference. We just want to do what the Bible tells us to do and love each other. And one of the mantras was this, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, Liberty. In all things, charity. So an essential would be we believe that Jesus is God's son, that he died and he rose again on the third day. That's an essential. If you don't believe that, I can love you, but you're at odds with Highland Park in our core beliefs and values. We'll still love you and care for you, but you won't be up here preaching or teaching a class or leading a small group. Or involved in leadership because that's just outside the bounds of what we would call an essential to the faith. The second part of that is in non-essentials, liberty. so how exactly do we serve communion? What time do we meet? How many songs do we play before the sermon? Uh, how, how many people is too big for a small group? I mean there's lots of things like that that are a part of church life, but they're not essential like. This church could do it different, and this church can do it different, and these people can do it different. It's all fine, because it's not an essential to the face. We don't want to get all worked up about it. Sometimes the problem with churches have been that we get not worked up about the essentials, and we get really worked up about the non-essentials, which you could also just call them my preferences, right? And that last thing is, in all things charity, whether you agree with me or not in the essentials or the non-essentials, I will love you, because God calls me to love all people, even my enemies. One of my favorite stories, and you may have heard this at some point, but I want to refresh your memory, and if you haven't heard it, you need to hear it because I think it's so valuable to Highland Park. It's part of our history because it involves one of our favorites. Chuck and Anita Thomas have gone to be with the Lord now, and I miss them dearly. But when Chuck Thomas was a young guy in Bible college a few few days ago, (laughs) a few decades ago, uh, he got a call from this little church in Oklahoma that was looking for a fill-in preacher just for a few months until they, fa- until they hired somebody. And Chuck said, I'd be glad to. So he and Anita drove, um, they are just young, newlywed college kids, drove to this church on a Sunday morning early, got there, um, he preached, and a family invited him to go home and have lunch, and he went home and had lunch with them. And as they were talking, he said, hey, I noticed something. I noticed that it seemed like the church was divided. It seemed like the people on the right side had nothing to do with the people on the left side. Like even the communion prayers were like there was one over here and one over here. Was I just imagining that? Or is there like a rift in the church? And the people at the table who were hosting them said, yeah, there's a big rift in the church. We have nothing to do with the people on the left side. We stay on the right side. And, and we, we have different elders, different people who do communion, different everything. And Chuck said, well, why is that? And they said, I can't remember. Let me call my grandma. (laughs) Walked over to the phone, called grandma. And grandma said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know the story. The story is that years ago at the church, we were remodeling and we needed to pick a carpet color. (laughs) This is a true story. And half of the people wanted blue and half wanted red. And it became so hotly debated and argued that they got half red and half blue, split it right down the middle, and the people on the red didn't talk to the people on the blue, and back and forth, and they each had an elder like actually serve them communion, the red side and blue side, and eventually they remodeled again years later, but the rift stayed there. I mean, they, had, they matched carpet finally, <laughs> but people didn't come together. They still had this animosity towards each other. So the next Sunday, Chuck and Andy drove back, and he was going to preach from the Lord's Prayer, and there's a little part in the Lord's Prayer he really highlighted that day. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive our trespassers, or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he preached on forgiveness the entire sermon. Then he went home. Then he came back the next Sunday, and he preached from the exact same verse on forgiveness. Again, for an entire sermon. Went home. Third Sunday in a row. Came back. Preached on forgiveness. Same verse in the Lord's Prayer all over again. And by this time, the elders called an emergency meeting. They got Chuck in. I mean, he's still just a college kid. And, and Chuck isn't like one of those, he was never like an in-your-face guy. He was very laid back and not aggressive personality at all. So I'm sure he was scared. They brought him back there and they said, Chuck, you're a really good preacher and we really like you, but you've preached pretty much the same sermon three, three weeks in a row. What gives? And he said, I just felt like I was supposed to keep preaching it until you lived it. And they didn't fire him. To their credit, he went back home, came back fourth week in a row, had his sermon laid out in his Bible, Lord's Prayer, forgiveness. He was going to preach it again. But they had communion before the sermon like we, like we did this morning. And the elder who was going to pray for this side was holding the trays, and he started to pray, and then he said, wait, 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 and he put the trays down. And he said, there's something I got to do. And he walked over to the other side, and he put his hand out, and he said, I am so sorry that I have acted like this. Would you forgive me? And the guy looked at him, and he put his trays down, but he didn't shake his hand. He gave him a bear hug, and they started crying. And it was like it was right out of the movies. People got up everywhere, and they started going and asking for forgiveness for ways that they had mistreated the others, and there were tears, and there was forgiveness, and uh, It was just beautiful. It went on for so long, they totally lost track of time and everything else. And by the time everybody had sat back down, Chuck just got up and he tossed his sermon aside. He just read the Lord's Prayer, and then he said, go in peace. And for the first time in decades, they did. When Chuck was telling me this story, he was in the hospital, and he got this little twinkle in his eye. He kind of sat up in his hospital bed. He said, can you believe what a brash kid I was? I was a punk. (laughs) And I said, no, Chuck, I don't think you were at all. I think you were God's man. Because in the midst of that, what did Chuck do? We believe in this core essential of forgiveness. That forgiveness is one of the core tenets of the Bible, of the gospel. And we believe in trying to make peace with people. Chuck chose to not take a side. He chose to not say, well, it's all your fault, or all your fault. But he stood in that no man's land, which for him looked like half right leg on red and left leg on blue carpet almost. But because he did that, he actually brought about change, and the people who actually bring about change are willing to stand in that dangerous no man's land where nobody wants to be, because you might get shot from both sides. So how do we do that today? I think we can take a page out of Acts chapter 18. It's one of my favorite passages. I'm gonna begin reading in verse 24 about this man named Apollos who he was a, a real great thinker. I mean, you almost think like a, a C.S. Lewis type. He, he could go toe-to-toe with the, the philosophical heavyweights. Not everybody can do that, but he could. But there was one problem with his teaching. Here we go, verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John." He began to speak boldly in the synagogue with Priscilla and Aquila when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help. To those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. So, Apollos is doing great work. He's a, a, a new believer, and of course, everyone was pre- pretty much a new believer at this point in, in church history. Um, but he's out there, he's teaching and preaching people about Jesus, but he doesn't quite understand what baptism's about. Somehow, he probably wasn't at the day of Pentecost where Peter had said, repent and be baptized that your sins may be forgiven and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He didn't quite understand that, how, how baptism and salvation and Jesus all kind of worked together. He was kind of practicing an old John the Baptist way of just repentance only. And so he was a little bit out of line doctrinally. And Priscilla and Aquila could have done a couple of things. And Priscilla and Aquila were mature they had been around the block a few more times than him. Uh, they, they really understood the scriptures. And when they were hearing Apollos, they must have had these like, little warning bells going off of like, oh, he's good, 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 bad. Ugh. And they could have done several things. You know what they could have done? They could have said, we just need to make peace with Apollos. So we just shouldn't say anything. We'll just be kind and encourage him. and say, hey, Paulus, great sermon, good teaching. Keep it up. Good job. Way to go. And Apollos would have actually ended up doing damage. He at least wouldn't have been near as helpful to the church. He would have left a whole lot of people with his incomplete theology without really knowing the scriptures. And so Priscilla and Aquila didn't do that. They, they also could have done this. They could have said, We are the defenders of the truth. And they could have run over here to their bunker and got behind it and said, Apollos is not teaching the truth. So we're gonna take out our guns and shoot him. We're gonna write articles that say 10 reasons why Apollos is a a false prophet. We're gonna go to the church and, and humiliate him publicly. We're gonna come after him. We're gonna attack him. And we're gonna make sure he never can teach and preach again. Or maybe even they just kind of just went and did their own thing and walked away and never talked to him again and gave him kind of the cold shoulder and he never quite understood, what what did I do? How come I don't get to teach and preach anymore? All of those things would have been completely destructive. And what do Priscilla and Aquila do? You see, the, the opposite of divisiveness in the church is not just walking away from someone, it's actually discipleship. We define discipleship by this, helping someone know the Lord or grow in the Lord. Paulus knew the Lord, but he needed to grow in the Lord. And so they come alongside and disciple him and help him. And I love what they do. Did you catch it? They have him over to their house. They don't confront him in front of a bunch of people, they don't embarrass him or humiliate him. They say, Paulus, come over for some coffee and cheesecake. Come over for dinner with us. Come on over. And he comes over and he spends time there. And I imagine about halfway through the cup of coffee or maybe after a couple of cups of coffee or tea or whatever they had, they were sitting there. And I imagine Priscilla or Quilla are both together say, hey, you are doing such a great job. There's just this one thing we need to talk to you about. And Paul said, well, what is it? And he feels cared for already. But then they're able to say, well, it's about baptism. Here's what you don't understand yet, and we have good news for you. Let us explain this more deeply to you so that you can understand. And they teach him, and he goes out, and he is used by God in mighty ways. So I just wanna mention three things that discipleship is, just super quickly, because I think we have to have all three elements, and we see them all three right here. Discipleship is relational, it's relational. It, the best discipleship is always person with person. It's why you need the church, and it's why the church needs you. It's why your, your attendance at this and at a small group or at a Bible class or with your ministry team, it's important because we need each other, because discipleship is always relational. And secondly, discipleship is instructional. There's an instructional element. If you're just getting out and and hanging with people, it's fine to be their friends, but you're not really doing discipleship unless there's some instruction. And it doesn't have to be you just teaching them from your great wisdom. Even better, it can be both of you looking at God's word and saying, what can we learn from God? That That we are people here at Highland Park of the Bible And we see God's word as every word is so helpful to us, and it comes alive inside of us. And so discipleship has to be instructional where we help one another know uh, the heart of God. And the third thing is discipleship is intentional. When my kids are walking too slow behind my wife at the grocery store, my wife will say, come on, kids, walk with a purpose. (laughs) And everybody kind of speeds up, and we try to, to, to stay up to speed with her as she goes through. But discipleship has to be with a purpose, intentional, that you actually have a plan. Again, you can go out and hang out with people a lot, and that's cool and that's fine, but there needs to be an intention about, here's how we're gonna grow in the Lord. Here's how we're gonna help each other. And hopefully, uh, and we pray that all of you know, our classes and small groups and um, any group at Highland Park is intentional about here's how we're gonna grow in the Lord, we actually have a plan for it. God may change that plan and have us study something different or whatever, and that's all fine, but we're gonna do our best to make a plan to grow in the Lord, and we're doing that with our families, hopefully you're doing that on your own, it has to be intentional. It has to be all of those things together. And if we can do all of those things, then we can figure out what it means to hold these things together and to say, we value truth, God's truth, not mine, not even necessarily just what you think. We value God's truth that is timeless. That's why when you, you can open your Bible to any verse in Proverbs and you'll read it and you'll think, whoa, that's still true today. His word is timeless. And God's, God also calls us to be at peace with people as best we can, as best we can. And so that we don't, The thing is, if we drop peace, then we usually drop truth because nobody's going to listen to you unless you're trying to be kind to them and care for them and love them. And Apollos heard the truth because Priscilla and Aquila held this as well. They held this commitment to peace. While I'm gone for a little bit this summer, my prayer for you is to pursue truth and peace that you care for one another, that you do what, follow the scripture that Haley read early from Ephesians 4 to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. That is our prayer. I love what Psalm 133 one says. It says, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And I pray that you will experience that goodness in the the weeks and months and years ahead with each other because of our commitment to truth and peace at the same time, even in a hostile world. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for your love and care for us. And we thank you that you are truth, you are peace, and you invite us to walk with you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.